640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories, commercial free. Now, let's meet the guests. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, if these if if this was about a concert, it, it, like there's no question, and I think he knows this, who'd be the opening act? I think he does. Brian Passifume from the National Post. You'd get to come out on stage. You'd get to six songs, maybe a new hit single, maybe one people liked about eight years ago. But but we know who the headline act is today. But Brian, thanks for. I'm a big fan of your work. You know that, and thanks for coming on. Just happy to be on the stage. Uh, well, absolutely. And now we welcome in. Uh, you know, he's got hits galore. This is like Elton John selling out Rogers Center. This is like for me, it's like Duran Duran. Although I'm the oldest person at these shows now, I can't figure that out. Where's all the people that were older in 1983? Whatever. But uh, the esteemed broadcaster Roy Green, host of the aptly named Roy Green Show, across the Chorus Radio Network, far and wide, two to five Eastern time, and right here on 6:40 Toronto. I'm so happy to have you on uh, on this show. Do you ha- can you play guitar, synthesizer, anything? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, that's good. No, no musical numbers are needed. This is not uh, no. Canadian Idol. We're just gonna we're just gonna yap uh, like all three of us. Uh, Greg, let me say this: I'd be happy of. to open for you and Brian anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't quite collaborated. I'd be the oats to Brian's hall, I think, in terms of scoops and verbiage and using big words um let me play you this because this is something i know you'll be talking about tomorrow on your show roy um it's movement on the carbon tax um maybe politically motivated but here's what justin trudeau said yesterday about flexing the carbon tax especially for rural homeowners and especially for atlantic canadians so we are nothing if not a government that listens to people that is focused on our goals and is willing to adjust as necessary and that's why bringing in this program that is going to change people from heating oil to heat pumps in a way that is easy and affordable for them is exactly the right policy that leaves everyone better off. Okay, so um, they're not necessarily sweeping changes, uh, but Roy, I know you could bring on uh, several politicians in the next couple of days who will guffaw at the prime minister saying we're nothing if not a government that listens to people, <laughs> but that's for them to do. I can't help laughing. All three of us are right now. What does this tell you? Is this just political pressure? Because they've been firm. There's one thing we could never, ever alter, and it's the importance of the carbon tax. And they just did it yesterday. Yeah, Greg, Brian, the carbon tax on home heating oil is a response to Canadians and droves issuing a two-thumbs-down verdict to Trudeau's liberals and national polling. It's clearly aimed at the Atlantic provinces, where fortress liberal support is crumbling. They're accustomed to winning maybe all 31 Atlantic Canada seats, or close to that number. Mm-hmm. Then this week, Palace data polling shows the CPC at 38.1 support, the liberals at 31 The word we heard ad nauseum during the pandemic was contagion. Well, contagion applies to Mr. Trudeau's fortunes in regional and national polling. This is the four Atlantic provinces turning to the Conservatives, who also made gains, by the way, in the same poll in Quebec. The federal cabinet table gathering must be a panicked federal cabinet table gathering now. I think also Canadians will smell the political panic, Mm -hmm. and polling will continue to decline for the Liberals and climb for and the CPC. Watch for a drop in carbon tax of the gas pumps once prices there climb again, unless the Liberals' polling fortunes rise, which I do not expect. Well, let me just say this. Very interesting to me is that Stephen Gilbo, the environment minister who won't shut up 
and uh, Chief Carbon Tax Pump on waiver did not post his own comment on the carbon heating oil reduction and rural rebate increase on X or Twitter. Gilbo reposted what Seamus O'Regan, Newfoundland and Labrador MP, posted to X. He didn't have his own comment. Wow, I did not know that. That's a fascinating tidbit. Brian, do you do you see what Roy sees, that, that eventually, even at the gas pumps, for the three of us and all of our listeners, they could slide the tax back just ever so slightly? That's a huge walk back. Yeah, it's, it's so this whole thing is like I think this is a kind of a sign that that people within the uh, sort of the inner garrison of the prime minister's office are, are finally realizing that that their, their their policies are kind of falling flat. You know, the, the every aspect of our life is is, is now ruled by the by this inflation by like for example my wife and i went to taco bell for lunch yesterday and it cost us 50 bucks you know the every aspect of our life is impacted by by how many other families did you take with you oh it was just me and my wife (laughs) (laughs) like it was it it was yeah but you know it's you know people say that you know the you know the least we could do is this well this was kind of the least they could do like i don't know anybody you know west of the ottawa river who uses heating oil you know, like my house and pretty much every house from from here to to Vancouver is, is run on natural gas, which is still subject to the the carbon tax. So yeah, it's 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 really it's um it's it, it's a sign it, it's a sign of panic. I think people are definitely getting a whiff of panic from this government that they would uh, they would turn back on something so integral to their their, their plan right now is is their climate policy. So yeah, I think this is uh, you know I think this is a, a little a little too little too late to to both improve the liberals' fortunes and to and to solve this uh, affordability crisis we're in right now. That's Brian Passfium from the National Post. Roy Green, uh, course national host, is with us as well. Roy, just the numbers to lay out for our audience, and I'm sure you will tomorrow too on your show right now 32 maritime seats 24 are owned by the liberals eight for the conservatives none for the ndp but to your point i saw a little bit of this when it was starting to get a little weary for stephen harper and it looked like the uh the you know the exit sign was going to flash a a promise here a promise there something here people are were looking who are diehard conservatives saying come on give me an excuse to stay there must be some liberals come on going i don't want to vote for pierre polyev give me a little bit just a little bit on my plate and i'll stay with you there that has to be the the concept for the liberals here greg the party's uh, long gone as far as trudeau is concerned he stayed way too long now he should have left a year or two ago the signs were clearly there that mr trudeau's support was uh, dramatically dropping and as the liberal party goes so goes uh, mr trudeau or in reverse he is the party and if he fails so does the party that's just the reality of the situation. Remember, not too long ago, just a couple of months ago, the four Atlantic provinces premiers wrote a letter to the prime minister saying, drop the carbon tax, reduce the carbon tax, when the price of the pumps went up 61 cents overnight. Um, it, this, is a, this, is not, this is not a passing phase. The decline has been in place and been taking place for a long time. Multiple polls by different pollsters are simply pointing to the fact that the game is up, the time is up, he stayed too long. Now the issue is, what are these, what's the NDP going to do? Well, a big question. And and to Roy's point, uh, Brian, uh, a Liberal MP, uh, Ken McDonald in Avalon, Newfoundland, voted with the Conservatives on a non-binding motion to axe the carbon tax. And that's a huge statement. And he said, listen, I'm, I'm a liberal at heart, but our people are getting crushed here. We're getting crushed, and we're expecting a very terrible winter with people losing their homes and giving back their cars. I can't have it. 
Incidentally, this is kind of this is the anniversary of the of the Liberals voting down a, um, a bill table by the Conservatives that would have uh, eliminated carbon tax. Yeah. Eating oil. So, you know, you know, uh, has got a rally, uh, I think tonight, I think. And, and, you know, this is definitely going to be front and center. The fact that the, uh, not only are the liberals, uh, you know, walk back their carbon tax, but they implemented a policy, a conservative policy that they had voted down. And it's, you know, I, you know, it's, you see that, you know, the, the row smiling members of the liberal caucus, but that, that really, that really betrays what's really going on behind the scenes from, from what, from myself and what some of my colleagues are hearing is that you've got liberal MPs that are terrified that they're going to be, uh, voted out in, in the next election. You, there's a there's a sense of panic within the, I don't know if it's shared within the PMO, but definitely within the caucus itself. There's there's a definitely a sense of panic that, that you know, that a lot yeah. of MPs that have been in office for a long time are going to end up, uh, you know, you know, finding new work uh, whenever yeah. the next election. Well, you got, you got two, listen, I'll say, you got two federal MPs right now, uh, well-respected, I think, in Yasser Nakfi and, and Nate Erskine-Smith. They're trying to get the Ontario Liberal job. Maybe they're MPPs uh, instead of MPs again. I don't think either plans to run, but they won't be the first and, and they won't be the last uh, to look for either other jobs in politics, municipally. We'll see. Roy, I want to I move to Paul Bernardo. You know this file very, very well. Um, some of your interviews with Tim Danson, some, uh, who's the lawyer of the Homolka and French families. I know this case just resonates inside you. If people missed it this week, the latest is there was a report that the uh, teen girl killer was planning on a statement in the summer about his move to a medium security prison and prison officials muzzled it, squashed it, stifled it. I, I think we'd agree his thoughts would, would make the papers. They'd get public attention. But should they at this point in time? How do you view that? We never need to hear from Paul Bernardo, period. 30 years ago, Canadian serial killer from British Columbia, children serial killer Clifford Olson was constantly in the news as he created stories about himself to the utter distress of his victims' families. And I spoke to those families. I also, Greg and Brian, know the French and Mahaffey families very well personally and was national trustee for the Victims Assistance Fund for the families during the Bernardo trial. We should never hear from Bernardo again. Um, Tim Danson told us on the air, and I've had private conversations with Tim as well, Bernardo is a narcissistic, vicious murderer, and we should never provide him a public forum. What I found particularly distressing as far as the situation with Bernardo is concerned goes back a few years. I received a call from a guard at Kingston Prison who said, I know of your connections with the French and Mahaffey families. You should know that Bernardo is receiving conjugal visits at the prison. So we called Correctional Service Canada to find out. What they told me was, it's none of your business. Mr. Bernardo has his rights. End of story. We do not ever need to hear from Bernardo again. Provide him no forum. He should stay and rot in prison until the day he dies. What do we see, Brian? Do we see the, the pr- prison officials should um, muzzle that message, stifle that message? They know it's going to get out there. They know uh, it'll it'll be salacious. They know it'll make headlines. Are they better off to just just squash it? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same I'm, I'm in the same camp as, as Roy here. Like I, I was in high school during the, the Paul Bernardo case. So I don't have I don't have nearly mm-hmm. the same connection to it as as him and, and, and some of the colleagues do. But yeah, the, the, you know, getting a chance to, to, you know, to, to publish words by Paul Bernardo, that, that's something that a lot of news outlets, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's too tempting for them to pass up. So if, if the opportunity is put out there, I'm, I'm sure it would be published. And, and Roy, and Roy's exactly right. You know, I think that, uh, you know, just, just removing that factor completely and just sort of just, 
going through the rest of our lives and never hearing from this person again is it, 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 the best policy forward. It's tough, Roy, isn't it? Because uh, not necessarily in this case, but we see all uh, true crime cells, a lot of the Netflix shows, Making a Murder, Big bo- I know cl- uh, there was a big book on, uh, oh gosh, Colin Thatcher, right? The Saskatchewan politician. Mm-hmm. I was a kid when he was convicted of, uh, of having his wife arranged to be murdered. So, you know, um, that stuff does sell. But I'd be horrified to come across Netflix someday and see a, a five-parter on Paul Bernardo with him doing the I, – I, it'd make me sick, and I think it'd make every Canadian sick. Just remember the impact on the families, yeah, on the French and Mahaffey families. Each time this individual makes news, when he's at his parole hearing in a few weeks' time, he's going to be in the same room with Doug and Donna French and Debbie Mahaffey. He will be in the same room with them, Greg. And uh, Tim Danson has told us that Bernardo's swagger, his attitude, is just grotesque. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was asked to moderate a memorial service for Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, or Debbie Ma- Leslie Mahaffey, by Debbie, her mom, uh, in Burlington a year or so after Bernardo's conviction. Mm. And it was the longest four hours um, of, of my life, really was. I, I came out of that church... And I was just utterly drained by the pain this individual had inflicted on these families. It's, it's grotesque. Never should he be heard from publicly again. End of story. Well said. Let's move it to this. Uh, and it involves Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's wife. And Brian, I want to start with you because this was in the National Post uh, Wednesday. I, I, don't, I, I think there's a practical aspect to it. Again, we're dealing with some heavy lifting with the Middle East and a lot of other stuff. So um, everybody, everybody doesn't mind a little bit of good gossip once in a while. And it comes to light that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau's been dating a surgeon in Ottawa. We only find that out. We're not sniffing through her uh, her garbage or anything. But this is from his the, the surgeon's ex-wife's legal documents and concerns about security safety when he's with her. I think it's news. I do. I think it's fair scrutiny. And they both have to know that their next relationship's going to be covered like it's a new relationship for a famous person is that fair do we owe any greater sense of privacy to to politicians in their private lives no you're exactly right you know these people clutching their pearls and say oh yes terrible this is this is the old invasion of privacy it's it's nonsense it's you know they're they're a public figure it's you know this kind of thing is what people want for news people will you know on one hand say oh this is horrible this is terrible but at the same time they're reading the story and you know and all 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 props to to to, to Glenn McGregor, the uh, mm. he was the one who who broke the story. He's the former CTV reporter. Um, he both he published it on his Substack, and, and uh, I guess the uh, National Post uh, published it as well. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's definitely news. I think that uh, you know that people will you know I think it's fashionable for people to say, oh, let's leave their family out of it. Blah, blah, blah. But no, it's it's definitely you know it's, it's it's definitely something people read. And I know the numbers uh, that I was looking at our, our website numbers today, and I've never seen a story hit as huge as, as this one. I think this is. I think that's proof right there. This is something that people definitely want to know. And I think that, uh, you know, with their, their separation, um, you know, left a lot of uh, questions unanswered. You know, the, 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 the Trudeau's marriage uh, crumbling mm. was, was kind of like the, you know, sort of a, an open secret on Parliament Hill for a while. So, yeah, I think this is something that people definitely want to definitely want to read about. I, Roy, how do you view it? Because I, I would say we did. We went through this with his father in the 1970s, very public relationship, very public relationships that his ex-wife, Margaret Trudeau, was having. We clearly see it in the United States. I, I, I think it, it, if it matters to people, it's going to be in the media. Oh, yeah, but I learned a new word. <laughs> 
was it one that Brian said? I don't have any new words. No, so no, it, I learned the new new term, repartner. Oh yes, yes, Recou- oh. recoupling. I think it is, isn't it? No, it's re. Well, it could be. <laughs> I, I saw repartnered. I said, okay, there's the one I have to use now. I um, I read that. Oof. <laughs> oh, is that right? I cringe when I read that. It's it's, it's called oh, yeah. data. <laughs> I did too. Like like why do we have to make clinical terms for everything? Like like unalive instead of dead, yeah. repartner instead of you know <laughs> finding someone else to share a bed with. Like I called a good friend of mine who's he'll be on the air with us on the weekend, family lawyer in British Columbia, and I said, Scott, have you heard this term before? Repartnered? And he said, What? So it was news to him as well. Look, it, it's news. People want to know the the details as much as they can get. Let's just be honest about it. But my greatest concern is dragging children into the public spotlight when parents break up. The Trudeau's youngest child is still nine years of age, I think. Uh, we need to keep that in mind when reporting on this development. Uh, but it's an issue that uh, all Canadians are interested in, and we should be. Uh, you know, Sophie Gregoire was a major part of Trudeau's life, and clearly, and elections, uh, campaigns, and as uh, the nominal First Lady of Canada. Yeah, we should know. Yeah, and and there we go. It, uh, it, it in the family, right? Justin Trudeau, Roy was probably five, six when his parents split. It was terrible, yeah. terrible for yes. kids that age who would have had to would have had to go to school, and it, I think it would have been harder for them to keep their privacy back then. For sure, it would have been. Yeah, well, I don't know because we didn't have social media. Nobody was uh, instantly communicating about every little detail. But hmm. uh, certainly, I remember it. I was a I was a kid, uh, sort of a kid. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was a clearly a massive story, but uh, I d- I'm just trying to get, get a customer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it, it happened. It happens in our business too. You're not fired. You're you just restructured out, Brian. You're uh, you're you're like here. There's some arrows leading to the door. We didn't fire you. We're, we're restructuring you out. Good luck. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought those arrows were because of COVID. We're supposed to follow the. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you can still find them in your favorite grocery store uh, periodically, uh, where you can uh, re- repartner your shopping. Let's go to the Ontario NDP. I, I'm really interested, Roy. To get, I know you, you you do a national show, but let's face it, I think it comes up from time to time when an opposition leader is supposedly the caucus is in revolt. And I'm sorry, I, I'm just not seeing it. There's 41 MPPs with the NDP. And I think given what happened to her campaign office being vandalized, I think a lot of them are afraid to say, hey, I, I'm good with this. This is a relief. There's no more uh, Sarah Jama as MPP. I, I believe in Marit Stiles. I think people are afraid to say that for the next couple of days. Do you view her leadership, Roy, as, as teetering in the provincial NDP ranks? I've seen a lot of overreaction and some rookie analysis of this. I don't see it. I see a, I see a stronger party than two weeks ago. Yeah, you know, uh, the Ontario NDP has an issue to resolve, and I agree with you. Uh, what What happened was the right thing. Um, I think they ought to have a, an open, not to the public necessarily, but an open caucus vote on the question of the removal of Ms. Stiles uh, as leader. Um, I don't think they need to have a vote on Sarah Jama. That's the leader's decision. But uh, have, a, have a vote on it and then get beyond it. Um, to me, this issue remains about the barbaric horrors inflicted by Hamas on babies, children, women, and men on October the 7th. But let the NDP decide it internally and then let us know what they uh, what they've decided it's 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 just it's um it's an unfortunate sidebar and it's becoming ugly 
Brian, how do you view it? I, I just I, people are going to get kicked out of caucus all the time uh, for this, that, and the other thing. It sure happened a lot during the pandemic, and I, I just look and they saw there's so much brand damage. I've heard of internal emails sent from Sarah Jama to other MPPs saying you need to be as vocal as I am. Um, it just became a toxic work environment. Yeah, you look every every political party has to deal with with a lunatic fringe that uh, you know the conservatives have it, the you know liberals. Uh, you know, they, I, I can't use my real name on Facebook because of the uh, the Liberal Party's uh, uh, weird fringe. But, you know, and, and the, the NDP is kind of in a weird situation because, you know, they, they, they brought Sarah Gemma aboard knowing exactly what she was. You know, they, they knew that, uh, you know, that she had a she's had a history of, 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 of shall we say, problematic viewpoints and comments before. Um, you know, the NDP is kind of in a weird position because you have you have people in the party who are, who are genuinely you know, real earnest people who want to make a political difference, but you also have that that weird lunatic fringe that that supports Hamas terrorism and and, and sees nothing wrong with 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 people swinging down on paragliders to murder children at a music festival. You know, and, and it's 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 something that uh, you know that, that the NDP are going to have to look internally at. But the problem is, is that there's, there's so much of that element in the party. I know that both provincially and federally, that it's it's almost a constant internal battle between. The, the more reasonable elements of, of, of the NDP and, and those who just want to, uh, you know, to, to, to make this, you know, turn Canada to, to some weird progressive cult where, you know, where, where, where Jews are despised and, uh, you know, and, and, and these weird opinions are, are, are held prominently. And I think yeah. And, uh, and there's a listen, there's a couple other provincial parties, um, the conservatives and the liberals that don't necessarily want the NDP moving closer to the middle. They're like, you hang out there on the fringe. That's good. That's not going to hurt us come election time. You come more to the middle like a Bob Ray in 1987 and then 1990 and you're going to start to siphon some votes away. I got to get to this clip and I really want to get both your reaction to it. We'll have about a minute for each of you. But this was on Fox News last night. This was Piers Morgan. Um, um, and he's challenging. He always has the U.S. and their gun culture. Here's what he said. And there's the old, I don't think actually Einstein ever said this quote about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But actually, in this case, I would argue, as a friend to American Americans, someone that loves the country and loves the people, at some point, you've got to do something more than you're doing. And I wouldn't use the word control. I think that's part of the problem with this whole debate. When Americans hear the word control, mm-hmm. they, they think instinctively federal government control and it alienates any chance of any compromise. Gun safety is the way this should be debated. How do you make it safer? How do you stop these loopholes, these guys slipping through the net? I mean, it's obviously a catastrophic failure. In Maine, they have yellow flags, not red flags. Why? Why? Why don't you just have a red flag system all over the country? You have 400 million plus guns in circulation. A million new guns are sold every month in America. This problem is going to get worse, not better. And at some point, as your friend, you know, as the great ally, I simply say you've got to do something more to stop this. You can't keep having the Groundhog Day of these people with these semi-automatic rifles going into civilian areas and gunning people to pieces. That's Piers Morgan. Roy, I got about a minute for each of you guys. This just, it feels hopeless. This just doesn't feel like it'll ever go the other direction in the United States, does it? We consistently report on mass killings and mass shootings in the United States. Uvalde, Texas comes immediately to mind. Uh, I want to make sure, though, that we keep this an American story and not turn it into a, a tragic and brutal mass murder into a Canadian gun owner story. 
Maine is very different. I spent quite a bit of time in the state and recently when I lived in Quebec. Uh, gun ownership is a passionate issue and support for the Second Amendment in Maine is extremely strong. Uh, I, I was in a sporting goods store one day and a young man, about 20, 21 years of age, was openly carrying two nine millimeter uh, pistols. And he seemed to have a bullet resistant vest, not a real um, bulletproof vest. And he went on and on and on about how no one was going to take his guns away. He was in his, again, yeah. in his early 20s. Yeah. This is a horrible story. You're not going to be able to take away Americans' guns. There's over 400 million firearms in the United States. Now, I think Piers Morgan was exactly correct. The term gun control is not going to work. Um, but gun safety. It might be a better term to, to and, utilize. And you have to get public buy-in. Brian, do that? I don't know. Brian, give me, a, give me 30, 40 seconds here on what you think. Uh, it's a very controversial opinion, but I, I still stand by the fact that the America has a mental health crisis uh, disguised as a gun crisis. I think that uh, availability of guns is, is, is definitely an issue, but at the same time, I think you've got to look at the reasons why people decide to pick up an AR-15 or, or whatever weapon and, and, and kill people. I'm definitely not for gun control, but I think that uh, people are too caught up in the politics to look at the root causes, and I think that applies here in Canada as well. You guys were amazing. Brian Passfume, National Post. By the way, for our listeners, he knows where Justin Trudeau's plane's going before Justin Justin Trudeau does. It's true. It's absolutely true. Brian, loved having you on. And Roy, you know what a fan I am. I'll be listening as much as I can Saturday and Sunday, 2 to 5, right here on 640 Toronto. Greg, great to be with you. Thank you, guys. Brian Passfume and Roy Green joining us on Think Tank.